Hey, 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 welcome to another Pastor Duke podcast coming to you from East Greenbush, New York. New York, I'm still here down to my last 13 days till we leave moving to South Carolina. And uh, we're rejoicing in the evident hand of God upon us to provide the right house at the right place at the last second. Now we're trusting to sell our house. And uh, we've got people looking at it. And so um, uh, it's been a good run. 45 years in upstate New York. And uh, it, God had more up his sleeve than we ever guessed. But today I want to uh, uh, kind of just share my heart with you about some big events we've seen God do in our lives. I just had... Uh, uh, 15 days ago, cataract surgery. So I'm still kind of a little cloudy here. I can't really see my notes. And so this is from my heart. I hope it'll be a blessing to you. The Bible says, whatsoever you do, do heartily as unto the Lord. Now that ought to be an easy thing to do because he's given unto us eternal life. He, God so loved the world. God so loved you. He lo so loved me that he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believe in him shall not perish, but everlasting life. We are going to live forever. And he sent his Holy Spirit to live inside of us to take the place place of what we are to trade his love for our lust, his grace for our greed, his plenty for our poverty. Oh my. And he's given us a job to do. We call it the great commission to share our faith with others, to do the work of an evangelist, to propagate the gospel, to win souls to Christ. He that winneth souls is wise. And so God's plan is to show up in our lives, that we may know him, that we may trust him, that we may serve him, that we, we may be a part of what he's doing. And I love that verse, whatever you do, do heartily as unto the Lord. I'm looking back on the early days of my life. I got forgiven for a whole lot of sin. I understand darkness. I understand depravity. I had cops knocking on the like U.S. government class in high school with uh, the narcotics dogs looking for for me, but I was tipped off like 60 seconds before I made my great escape, grabbed the dope out of my locker, got out to my car, took off. I did not get busted. They're waiting for me. When I get home, they check me out. I, I've dumped all my stuff. I came really close. I would have faced 66 months in prison, a 20 year sentence, 66 months, the way it worked, shook down in those days. And when I got forgiven, I, I love Jesus. I love the house of God. And I know that not everybody there's perfect. And, and I know there's sinful people and there's hypocrites, but don't let people mess you up about God. Let God straighten you out about people. And, uh, I just was radical before I was saved doing evil things. Then Christ comes into my heart and I want to be a little crazy for God. I like to call it spiritual reckless abandonment. Isn't that what happened to the apostles? They hear the preaching of John the Baptist, and there wasn't a lot of hope in their nation under the Roman occupation. Taxes were high. Uh, jobs uh, were hard. It, it wasn't a good time uh, to live. Nobody was really getting ahead, and they had the promise of a Messiah, and years had gone by. False messiahs. Then comes John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness that lit it up. Are you the Messiah? 
tie, I know, but there's one coming after me whose shoelaces I'm not worthy even to untie. And he'll, I baptize you with water. He's going to baptize you with fire. So that's what I'm talking about today. That fire, the fire of forgiveness, the fire of knowing that you have eternal life, the fire of knowing that Jesus is coming back one day, the fire of knowing that every evil head is going to roll one day. I, I hate what I'm seeing happening in our country. I hate the woke movement. I hate what they're teaching our children in the public schools. But I'm looking back today. It's kind of a time of reflection. Been here 45 years. Kind of, you know, young men dream, old men reflect. But may my reflections throw gasoline on the sparks of younger men and younger women as they aspire to stand for Jesus in their generation. So what I'm talking about is being just a little bit excited about Jesus, being a little bit radical if necessary. I look back and people have accused me of being a little bit radical for God. And you know, maybe it's true. I remember uh, soon after we were saying, we just had this amazing youth group. We were, some of us were college age. Some, a couple were still in high school. And I'm telling you, we were on fire. We'd go into a public restaurant. Uh, I remember the LNK restaurant, the place would be packed out. And one of us would stand up. It, most often it might've been me. We'd stand up and say, excuse me, the Bible says in everything, give thanks, or this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. I mean, yell it out and people, what? They'd stop and listen. Let's pray. And then we'd pray a blessing on the food for the whole restaurant. And that's kind of the Bible belt. We'd get away with it. In New York, they'd probably lock us up. But in Ohio, half the people in the restaurant would say, well, well, amen, and life would go on. One night, somebody just reminded me of this today as we're doing some reflections. Uh, there was a group of about six of us young people back at Cook Road Baptist, Mansfield, Ohio. It was a Friday night, and we were out. <laughs> and we were uh, went into. We saw a bunch of people going out of the Catholic Church, and so. Uh, we wondered what that was all about. So we, we were armed with gospel tracts, of course, because we witnessed everything that moved. So we went into the uh, St. Peter's Catholic Church, Mansfield, Ohio, uh, one Friday night and found out why there was people going in and out of the church. It was confessional. I, I didn't know anything about what that all meant, but they had a little confessional set up. I learned about it later, and people were confessing their sins to a priest. So... <laughs> we were rejoicing that we could confess our sins direct to God, and we had all these gospel tracks thought, well, what better thing could we do with these tracks than to go to all the songbooks in St. Peter's church and put, uh, how to be born again, Cook Road Baptist Church, Mansfield, Ohio, 54 East Cook Road, Pastor James L. Standridge, pastor. We put those gospel tracks in all their songbooks. And, uh, that was Friday night and we dropped off the girls. And that night, four of us guys, uh, we sort of broke into the church. <laughs> we were on fire. We're crazy. We were like 19 years old. I knew a way in the choir room, there was a window that the, the glass was kind of not locked in there properly. And you could kind of reach your hand in and, and the glass would kind of pop out. You could wiggle it and remove the glass, lay it down side, open the window and get into the church. So we did. And uh, we broke into the church. Uh, four of us guys had an all-night prayer meeting. It was about 7 o'clock Saturday morning. We were still in there praying. And all of a sudden, the auditorium doors uh, open, and it's past, our pastor comes walking in. What are you guys doing here? Oh, well, we just had a prayer meeting. And, and well, when did you get here? Oh, well, around midnight. Well, who let you in? Uh, well, we sort of let ourselves in. <laughs> he uh, kind of... 
we showed him the window and they fixed it so we couldn't do it that way anymore. So that's the last time I ever broke into a church having all the all night prayer meeting. But you know what? God put fires in our hearts and we wanted to stand up, stand up for Jesus. Uh, so we formed, these, we had these little Christian parties. We didn't even have any supervision. We were just, uh, I was a college age. I was like 19 and Mark was 18. And several of us were 18, 19, 16, 15. And uh, we were on fire and we'd have a party and we'd have eight, 60 to 80 people show up and we would uh, do a lot of fun things and we'd have a fire and preach the gospel around the fire. People give their testimonies. We saw a bunch of people get saved from 72 to 74. Um, but one night we decided we're going down to the Lucas Park. That was a little village I'm from, population 918 in 1960. I think the population was 458 in the year 2010. So Families are a little smaller. Same houses are still there today. So our our activities at the party, we're going down to the park. We're going to break up into groups of two. Two of us are going to go up on the street corner, me and uh, someone else, and do street preaching because all these kids knew me. I was a drug dealer, and these are the people I sold drugs to, so they couldn't argue with me. And they all thought when I got saved I was going to be a narc and turn them over to the cops. I said, no, God's called me to be a preacher, not to be a narc, and get you guys all, all uh, locked up and send you to jail. I want to send you to heaven, not to jail. So I'm up on the street corner preaching, and the other kids broke up, and they knocked on every door in the village said, hi, we're from the youth group of Cook Road Baptist Church, and if you're going to church somewhere, we're happy. Just keep going there. But if not, shame on you. You need to come to our church and get right with God. We were we we didn't have a lot of tact. Now this is like 1972, 1973, summer of 1974. So it was a little bit of a different world. So our our fun activity that night was knocking on every door in the village and street preaching. That night, uh, street preaching. One of the girls that I graduated high school with, Diana Ernsberger. Some of my Lucas friends who listen in might remember. Uh, Diana, and uh, she was not yet a Christian. And I was preaching up on the street corner, and they're like hassling me, heckling me, which was kind of fun because I knew they really did respect me, and they many of them really did love me. But it was just really awkward for them that their former drug dealers up there uh, telling them how to go to heaven and please don't go to hell and Jesus saves. I didn't have a lot of verses, I didn't have a lot of tact, but I loved them and they knew it and they're kind of listening. And 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 Diana just started yelling at me and screaming and walked right up and spit in my face. And, and I had given her a gospel track and she crumpled it up. I thought she threw it on the ground. But it turns out she didn't. She put it in her purse and she spat at me. I mean, right in my face. I wiped it off. I said, Diana, there's nothing you can ever do to make me not love you. You just don't have the lights on yet. And I do. And I'll love you forever. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. and anyway, we broke up. We went back down to the park, uh, you know, a block and a half away, had our fire, roasted our hot dogs. Uh, Mark and I preached the gospel. Mark Hager, hope you're listening. Love you forever. One of my first Christian friend in the faith. And uh, Mark and I preached. And we had a couple people get saved that night as well. But it's really crazy. Here's the rest of that story. It's like five years later, I'd finished Bible college, and um, uh, I'm, I'm, I think I was home just about the, maybe it was during Bible college days. Was, I know at least five years had passed, so we're talking late 70s now. And I got a phone call from my pastor, 
And he says, Duke, do you know a girl named Diane Ernsberger? I'm like, yeah. And he said, she just um, called our church uh, yesterday and said, is this the church that Duke Herget went to? And I said, yeah, Duke's one of our preacher boys. He's off at Bible college. And she said, do you do counseling? He said, I do. She said, can I come and see you? He said, absolutely. When do you want to come? She said, could I come now? He said, yeah. So 15 minutes later, Diane Ernstberger's in my pastor's office. And an hour later, pastor led her to Christ. About a month later, he baptized her. And my next time home, uh, <clears throat> well, I'd actually gotten the uh, her phone number from my pastor. And the next time I'm home, I go to visit her. And she'd been married and had some real hardships come into her life. Long story short, last time I saw her, she spit in my face and cursed Jesus. And the next time I saw her, she hugged my neck and wept and thanked, thanked me for telling her about Jesus. And uh, <laughs> I love you, Diana. She's with the Lord now, looking down. What, what an amazing story. But isn't it amazing how God, when there's a fire burning in our heart, people will come watch us burn. And so, you know, people say, well, you went up and did street preaching. What good did that do? You just made those people mad. Well, it's in God's hands. But let me tell you, Diana got saved. She came to know Jesus as her Savior, and she loves me today from heaven's vantage point. And so just, you know, I just look back and remember being on fire uh, for Jesus. Also, another story uh, uh, somebody brought to me today. We're having some reflections in my men's group today and in our seniors Bible study. People are telling me stories they heard me say through the years. I just wanted to let them live on uh, through podcasting. And these stories uh, have fired people up for years, something that we saw God do. And I know it'll be a blessing to you as well. And and so I, I like to tell the story of uh, the early days of our, well, maybe 10 years in, we are, um, the church is doing really good and have a uh, get up early and study on Sunday morning and go teach, uh, preach uh, early service. Then I teach Sunday school. Then I preach the later service and, you know, getting tired and then study that afternoon, go back for choir practice, sing in the choir, uh, preach the evening service. And my dad would say, uh, Duke is died right and laid to the side. I'm a little bit burnt out now. Has it been a wonderful day in God's house? So I'm ready to go home. A dear lady in our church, Shirley Letourneau, faithful, 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 comes to me in tears. Pastor Duke, my mom is dying up at St. Mary's Hospital. You got to go visit her now. She's dying. She's dying. Go. You got to go. I said, can she wait till, can wait till the morning? Shirley, I'm tired. She goes, no, you got to go now. She's dying. And so I'm like, Okay, I did not want to go, but I went, and uh, oh, I just, so I get up there, and it's like 8.30 on Sunday night now, and I am toast. I don't want to be there, and there's a curtain between two beds, and I say, you, hello, it's Pastor Duke, and her mama knew me, and um, I, I went in, and behind the curtain, and we're sitting there, and and it turns out she was sick, but not all that sick. She was actually feeling pretty good that night. And she was so glad I came to see her, but she went anywhere near death. <laughs> and I was a little bit mad at Shirley for sending me up here. And it said it's an emergency, and it wasn't. And But her mother was a sweetheart. So I shared uh, the gospel with her and just walked her through and shared my testimony 
And uh, I asked her, are you ready to receive Christ into your heart as Lord and Savior? And she was. She was so happy. She takes my hand, and I lead her in a sinner's prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. Come into my heart and save me. And so I, I led her to Christ, and we were rejoicing with her. And I, I'm sitting there just about ready to leave. And it's like 930 now. And I hear a little small voice come through the curtain to the other bed, which is probably no more than four feet away. I hear a little voice, excuse me, Father, Father, excuse me. I'm in Catholic country now, so Father means pastor or priest. And <laughs> so I, I don't want to be rude and say, well, well, yes. She says, can you pull back the curtain? And I'm like, okay. So I pull back the curtain. There's this sweet lady laying in the bed. I mean, she was no farther away from her head from where Shirley's mom's head was at. And she goes, Father, I... I hope it's okay, she goes, but I was eavesdropping. I was listening to uh, everything you were saying, and especially those Bible verses. She goes, I hope it's okay. I prayed and asked Jesus to come into my heart too. (laughs) I had never uh, before or since accidentally, unwittingly, led someone to Christ. And I'm like, holy cow, I feel guilty for not wanting to come and feeling guilty for him being angry at Shirley for kind of giving me, uh, uh, I mean, Shirley probably thought she was, I don't, Shirley wasn't lying to me. I know that, but she, she was desperate and I showed up and I'm thrilled. I, this lady's receiving the Lord. Now I got two new sisters in the Lord and, and, uh, they get out of bed and hug one another and they're crying and tears of joy. And I'm celebrating with them. We go on for like another 20 or 30 minutes of verses on assurance. It was fantastic. So I leave the hospital about 1030 now and I'm floating at it. I'm so excited about the Lord. And so we, we leave, I leave, I'm coming home. I'm just rejoicing in the Lord. And I go home, my wife's already asleep and I'm so buzzed. I can't even hardly sleep. So I do, I go to bed and, uh, and, and I wake up uh, the next thing on Monday morning. I'm still so excited. I think I'm going to go back up to the hospital and just see those gals again. And I'm probably about 38 and they're probably in their early mid seventies. So I, I went back up to the hospital at uh, eight 30 in the morning, just to, I don't know, just I was so excited. I just want to talk to him about Jesus again, celebrate with him. And I went in and Shirley's mom was there and the curtains were all pulled back. And I said, uh, celebrated with her for a moment. I said, where's your roommate? It got real quiet. And Shirley's mom said, she died at 6 a.m. Whoa. <laughs> and I began to weep because I remembered last night after church, about 8 o'clock, I didn't even want to come up to the hospital, but I did out of duty. This is the whole duty of a man. Fear God, keep his commandments. Opportunity is obligation. I've always lived by that. So I, I went up, I guess it turns out I really didn't go up exactly for Shirley's mom, which I thought, I think I went up for the other gal 6am. She went to heaven. Let that sink in. But I tell you, that's brought a lot of motivation to me ever since. When I hear somebody's in the hospital and I'm invited to go, I already know somebody has prayed for them, and I don't ever miss out on those opportunities to tell people who've been prayed for about the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, you know, I think of Jesus when he said, um, you want to be my disciple? Pick up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. And that night, That's what I did. 
I didn't want to, but I obeyed. I denied myself. I didn't go home, eat a sandwich, turn on the TV, and go to sleep. I did something way more important. I went out and shared the gospel with somebody who was hurting and someone I didn't realize I had never even met before. I saw that gal one night for about 30 minutes. I can't wait to introduce you to her. I don't even know her name, but uh, how cool is that? Here's another story that uh, my people brought to me today, and I thought, I got to get that onto a podcast. I'd been saved uh, just a, a matter of months, and uh, I got hired on at Rocky's Pub. <laughs> uh, downtown Mansfield, a, a really great, is a restaurant-bar combination. It was kind of a classy place, to be honest with you, but uh, my dad actually trained Rocky in the liquor business. And so Rocky uh, hired me. I was working in the kitchen, but now I'd only been there a while, and I felt a calling into the ministry. I'm starting to be a preacher, and I'm working at Rocky's Pub. It just didn't feel all that good. And uh, in my mom and dad had just gotten um, a divorce, and dad moved out, and we didn't have much money, and I needed to give my mom some money each week to help feed my brothers and myself. And so uh, we're in the rust belt in Ohio. All these big factories that uh, lined uh, our city were shutting down and jobs were scarce. Men who had good factory jobs are now unemployed, just taking any kind of job they can get. I'm working at Rocky's Pub. This is uh, like spring of 73. And uh, I told my mom, mom, I, I'm studying for the ministry. I just don't feel right working at a bar. I need to, I need to get out of the bar. I need to get out of Rocky's. And, uh, and if you remember the old song oldies, it's a little bit of soul, uh, music explosion, 1967, 69, Mansfield, Ohio. The lead guitarist there uh, is Rick Nesta. This is his parents, Rocky and, uh, K Nesta. So just a little bit of, uh, music rock history for you guys. The, uh, bass player in that band. Burton Stahl was my next door neighbor growing up. So I love that band. Love that song. Golden oldies. So I'm working at Rockies. I tell my mom, I got to quit. And mom says, you can't quit. There's no jobs in town. What are you going to do? I thought you were studying and you're going to go into the ministry. You got to save some money and I need your help and you can't quit a job. What are you going to do? And I said, mom, I know what my heavenly father's asking me to do. I'm going to do it. Okay. But this is crazy. And I'm, I just, think you're getting making a big mistake and what are you going to do you got a car payment and you got to help me and this is crazy I said well mom I, I have to do what I know my heavenly father wants me to she said well I just think you're stupid being stupid now so Monday morning I go in to work and I'm a janitor from seven and nine from nine to five I'm a cook and dishwasher <laughs> I'm working 60 hours a week seven to five six days a week 60 hours a week I'm bringing home 99 dollars summer of, or spring of 1973 so <laughs> at nine o'clock when Kay Nesta came in I, I gave my two-week resignation and why are you leaving we'll give you a raise. And I'm like, no, no, I, I, I didn't want to tell her because I mean, it's a liquor and they own it. And I didn't want to hurt her feelings, but she pressed me. And I said, well, Kay, I'm, I'm preparing my life for ministry. And I just don't feel comfortable working in a pub. And I, I feel I need to get out of here. She told me the same thing. My mom, well, you need the money and there's no jobs in town and you're doing a great job here. We'll give you a raise. We don't want to lose you. I said, okay, I know what I, what I got to do. And I, I said, I don't want to hurt your feelings, but I have to go. Well, okay. And I don't understand all your religious stuff, but 
do what you got to do. And she was really ticked off at me. That was at nine o'clock and we had a five minute, not fun talk together. 10 minutes later, I get a phone call from my sister. My sister was assistant director at the uh, sheltered workshop in Mansfield, Ohio, work serving handicapped people. She said, Duke, do you know anybody that needs a job? <laughs> I said, yeah, me. I can't believe Really? Oh, okay. Could you come in this afternoon for an interview? We need to hire somebody in two weeks. I had just given two weeks notice. So during my lunch break, was it 2 o'clock to 2.30, I, I took a sandwich with me, ate it on the way over to the workshop, got interviewed, got hired, went back to work at Rockies, went home at 5.30. My mom said, well, did you quit your job? I said, I did. She said, no, what are you going to do? Would you give them two weeks notice? I said, yeah, mom. And I said, and then I told her what I just told you. I said, 15 minutes after I gave my notice, I get called uh, from the workshop and my sister, my mom's only daughter, I got hired on at the workshop. And guess what? Instead of working 60 hours a week, I'm only working 30 hours a week. Instead of bringing home $99 a week, I'm bringing home $180 a week and I'm getting health care, which I did not have at Rocky's Pub. So God gave me half the work hours and twice as much money and health coverage on top of it. You see, that's what faith does. Faith is saying it is so when it ain't so in order to make it so. And so here I am. I'm a newbie. I'm loving Jesus. I'm on fire. I'm witnessing. But I was new, and I was learning to trust God. I obeyed what God put on my heart to leave a pub just for how it looked, you know, going into a bar every day. And I was not drunk and doing anything evil and um, got to lead uh, a gal to Christ. Uh, one of my uh, best friends um, in high school, his uh, older sister, uh, came on there. She was going through a hard time, and she knew me, Diana. <laughs> Diane, uh, uh, she probably be watching this podcast. Matter of fact, I'm going to call you and make sure you watch this podcast, Diana. And she was, became a waitress there. And I'd known her for the previous four or five years. And she knew me when I was strung out on drugs and her husband had been in prison for drugs. And she saw the change in my life. And it was during that time at Rockies that Diane came to know Jesus as savior. So it, it ah, does it just make you want to serve the Lord? I, Diane got saved while I was there, and we remain to be great friends to this day. Her boys came to Christ. Oh, man, and it just goes on and on. But my mom was watching, and when my mom saw my faith and she saw how God blessed it, she couldn't keep her mouth shut. She ran over and told the neighbor lady, Betty, uh, we used to call uh, Betty, Badmouth Betty. <laughs> she was one of my dad's barmaids. You can't believe it. Duke quit his job at the pub. And, and, and I told him not to because there's a, and my mom was bragging on this God story because she saw it happen. And uh, she was mad at me. Now she was glad at me. And uh, Badmouth Betty came to know Jesus as Savior uh, soon after that. And she's walked with God ever since. She's, Betty's yet living, living in Florida. I just talked to her a couple months ago. She got on fire for God that same summer, summer of 73. And she has not looked back. And she's brought many people to faith in Jesus Christ. You see, I guess what I'm trying to say today is that God is big. He's awesome. And when we 
have our eyes on him and we have our hands on that gospel plow and we choose not to look back and we get excited about our calling to stand up for him and be witnesses for him and get a little bit radical for him. He's got stuff up his sleeve. He's going to bless us out by showing us his power. One more story and I'm done. You know, I could go on and on and on for stories, but we'll switch forward. It's Bible college. Now we fast forward. It's summer of 76. I'm a a summer intern at Temple Baptist Church, Detroit, Michigan. I get invited out to this prayer meeting on a Thursday night in the home of uh, Charlie Mifsud, M-I-F-S-U-D's Maltese name. His parents, his dad was a Maltese immigrant. His mama was Sicilian. These are old rural people. And uh, uh, Charlie and his brother Joe had gotten saved out of the war. They were cool guys, man. They came out of the same junk I came out of, and they were on fire for the Lord. And my first Sunday there, or my first week there doing the the Sunday school bus routes, I was on bus 28. Turns out bus 28, the bus driver and captain were Joe and Charlie Mifsud. And so I show up on their bus and they, you know, oh, so you're Duke. You're one of the Baptist Bible College summer interns. Yeah, I did your bus route this week. And and they said, well, what's your name? I said, I'm Duke Hergen. I'm on fire for Jesus. That's how they remember me. I don't remember saying that, but that's what they always tell me when I see them. And I, and I was on fire for Jesus, and I, I think I still am on fire for Jesus. And I want you to be on fire for Jesus as well. So they said, well, we're having this prayer meeting. So I went, and there's like 12 people. And uh, my first night there, that's the night I met Joellen. How about that? And and she came in a little bit late because she just got off work, and I, we were already on our knees. We got on our knees at 730, and we prayed for three hours, and we did that every Thursday night, summer of 76, three hours on our knees praying. And I remember when Joellen came in that night, uh, I peeked. <laughs> oh, my goodness, she was beautiful. And uh, I remember we were down on our knees I uh, praying. I kind of creeped over, and I, I looked at her hand to see if there was any rings on her hand. No rings. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And I was praying. I was so attracted to her. And then at 1030, the prayer part was done. Then we hung out for about another and drank some tea and had some goodies. And that's the night I met Joelle. And she wrote her name in the back of my Bible and the date that she got saved March 16th, 1975. I did not even know she wrote her name there. And that's another God story. Maybe I'll have to do two for one. But out of that Bible study that night, or that that summer, summer of 76, it started with about 12, and then it was 14 and 16, and then maybe about a month in, it was about 20. And for like the next six weeks, we went June, July, and August, uh, 20, 22, 24 people packing, get on our knees. We'd start praying at 7.30, pray to 10.30, and then hang out till about midnight. Out of that Bible study, there's been eight churches planted in upstate New York out of that one Bible study. There was, there was a church planted in Bristol, Connecticut, a church planted on the island of Malta where Paul was shipwrecked. Remember the Maltese background? Joe Miff said became a missionary to Malta, and he's still there today and built a great church on the island of Malta. And in New Jersey, where uh, Pastor Dave Balka, who married one of the girls from my church, they established six or seven new, so we can count 17 churches that were born out of that prayer group. Summer of 76, 10,000 Beaverland Drive was the address where we met, uh, Redford, Michigan, suburb of Detroit, 
16 churches planted from that one prayer meeting. Prayer changes things. Prayer changes people. That group of people got fired up for Jesus. None of us had a clue we were going to do anything that we did. We knew God one by one. He was calling everybody out of that group to be preachers. And so, man, oh, man, oh, man, God had fantastic things up his sleeve. And here's the rest of that story. Joelle and I began to date that summer, and uh, I was crazy in love with her, and she had only been saved about 15 months. So I go back to Bible college, and I'm fasting, and I'm praying, saying, Lord, is she the one? Is she the one? Is she the one? And I went into a three-day fast, Lord, is she the one? And I remember after this, I, I, uh, it was the third day of a fast, I, I looked in my Bible and I, under Proverbs 31, and I remember a moment in time, I was, it was my freshman year in Bible college. I was, it was date night. I didn't have a date. I was having a pity party. I'm so lonely. And uh, God spoke to me that night and said, shut up, stop being an idiot. It's not your problem to find the right woman. It's my job to bring her into your life. You just become the man of God that you need to become and become the man that your wife needs you to be. And I'll take care of the rest. I'm like, okay, okay. I was so moved by that. I went back up to my dorm room, opened up my Bible, Proverbs 31, wrote down the prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, make me a second Timothy three seventeen man that the man of God would be mature, thoroughly furnished unto all good works or none. So anyway, I wrote that prayer down and I wrote the date, uh, March 16th, 1975. I wrote it down, Proverbs 31. Now we fast forward. <laughs> it's now summer of 76. It's now fall of 76. I'm back at Bible college. I'm fasting. I'm praying, Lord, is Joanne the one you want me to marry? I'm in the third day of a fast. I just happened to open my Bible to Proverbs 31, and I, I saw that prayer. And I prayed for my wife that night, sitting out behind the school, and in the, in the, in the, there's a field back there. I was laying in, I call it God's green shag carpet, the grass. And I prayed for my wife that night, had no idea who she was. I said, dear Lord, whoever you've chosen to be my wife, I pray for her tonight. Put your arms around her and let her know there's a guy here crazy in love with her and can't wait to meet her. I wrote that prayer in my Bible and wrote down the date, March 16, 1975. So now it's September 1976. I'd met Joellen. <laughs> I was in love. She's back in Detroit. I'm in Springfield, Missouri. And I go from Proverbs 31 to the back of my Bible, and I saw the names of a lot number of people that I'd led to Christ and the date they got saved. And then all of a sudden I saw in green ink, in Joellen's handwriting, her name, just her name, Joellen. And the date she got saved, guess what? <laughs> the night I laid in the field behind the school, Friday night, March 16th, 1975, praying for my wife, that night, Joanne's laying on her bed, 32858 Comanche Drive, Westland, Michigan. She's laying in her bed. Jesus was knocking on the door of her heart, and she called upon the name of the Lord. That night, she got saved. I was praying for her. <laughs> How cool is that? You see what I'm trying to tell you? God is awesome. He's on the throne. He gets involved in the stuff of our lives. I mean, the little stuff, the big stuff. He wants us to know him. He wants us to experience him. He wants us to see his mighty hand moving in our lives. Folks, you can't get no better than that. I know that's bad English, but forgive me. Man, oh man, 
sell out to Jesus. Let go. Let God. Don't be hesitant in your obedience to him. Stand up for him. Make him known to others. Be a little radical. Do crazy things for him. Go to the hospital in the midnight hour. Go down to the soup kitchen. Go out and visit the homeless people. Pack five lunches and go out where homeless people are and feed them. Tell them that Jesus loves them. Just just get radical for the Lord because we're going to see him one day. He was kind of radical for you, wasn't he, when he went to the cross? So if he'll die for us, I think it's our responsibility and our privilege to live with him. So thanks for tuning me in. Hope this is a blessing, a challenge, a lot of fun. See you next time. In the meantime, please subscribe, uh, share, uh, download, all that. Help me get this message out, how great our God is. So bless you. See you next time. Bye-bye.